Talk Radio 96.7. We are ready and ready to just jump right into it. We're talking sports in the Ozone. The Ozone, brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors of Lakeland, turning scrap metal into cash. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. A lot of football coming up this weekend. Give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. Or if you're technologically inclined, you can reach us at ozone at hallradio.net. That's ozone at hallradio.net. Well, on WONN 107.1, right down the dial, UF is going to take on Kentucky this Saturday at noon in Lexington. Pre-game will begin at 9. Virginia Tech travels to Tallahassee to take on Florida State. 3.30 kickoff, 1.30 pregame, right here on 96.7 WLKF. The Bucks are going to travel to New Orleans to take on the Saints, and they might be facing Jameis Winston. 1 o'clock kickoff, noon pregame. Coach Joe, the Rays are still in it mathematically anyway, but right now it's not looking too good and they're behind the Baltimore Orioles, who are playing my Red Sox, who are firmly ensconced in last place, only 23 games out. So the Orioles' magic number is two to clinch the division. Yeah, the Rays, uh, fortunately, were able to play the Red Sox earlier in the week and beat up on them to keep up with the <laughs> Orioles. But the O's just keep winning. They're up to 99 wins as they play tonight and are currently leading the Red Sox, I believe, in tonight's game. They finish with four against the Sox. In Baltimore, needing only to win two uh, to clinch the division. Win tonight, they clinch at least a tie. Good news, though, for the Rays, who have won 97 games, they're off tonight, is that they have clinched the top wildcard spot or the number four seed. That means they will have to play in the wildcard round, most likely. However, they will be playing at home during that uh, session. They'll be playing the number five seed, which currently is Toronto, but that's that's uh, definitely in flux because uh, Houston and Toronto are neck and neck for the five spot. Houston about to be eliminated from the AL West race as Texas is in a similar position to Baltimore with a magic number of two as they enter tonight's action. So it looks like Texas is going to win the West. They'll be the two seed. Baltimore will be the one. And Minnesota, which has already won the Central Division, is going to be the three seed. So you've got uh, the one and two seeds will have the first round by. And then the three, four, five, and six, with the Rays being the four, will play the best of three first round series. Now, if it's like last year, Ronnie, there won't be any travel. They'll play at the one location. So the three and the four will be the home team throughout the three games. Well, the Tulsa Golden Hurricane are playing right now. Their offensive coordinator is Steve Spurrier Jr. <laughs> and I understand that Senior is out there at that game. And uh, you had a score for us earlier. They were up 7-3. to three. Uh, It's still early in the game. Uh, they were ahead of Temple. Temple, of course, uh, just finished getting waxed by the University of Miami in the, their last game. And uh, they're, they're have, on a short week. The Canes, meanwhile, have this week off, so they're going to be resting up for their upcoming ACC schedule, which should be a very interesting uh, ACC race now that uh, we saw what happened with FSU and Clemson last week. Yeah, Notre Dame and uh, Duke face off this weekend. Boy, that was some game between Notre Dame and Ohio State, wasn't it? Did you hear uh, Marcus Freeman was talking about 
Well, we we knew there were, we only had ten guys out there. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I think I he was covering for his players, his assistant <laughs> coaches, because you know if he had sent the guy out there, the penalty would have only been about six inches. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. You know the the interesting thing is uh, on the. Uh, the play before that, Ohio State had tried to pass. It was incomplete. And so, it, you know, with f- uh, the final play of the game, they could run or pass because you weren't going to have to worry about the clock running out, Ohio State having no timeouts left. But Notre Dame had a timeout left, and they used it, in fact, to get organized on defense and still somehow only sent 10 guys out for the play. And uh, unfortunately, the guy they left out was, the, you know, the, the person who would have been in the spot exactly where, where they ran through. And it wasn't like they plowed over the goal line. Barely. Yeah. Barely reached the goal line. And they, they, they reviewed that for a while, and they looked at it again. But uh, he, his knee stayed above the ground, and his elbow, which was holding the ball, landed right on top of the goal line. So that's a touchdown. Reminiscent of the bush push. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's where it was invented, I think, was uh, in that game with Southern Cal, uh, I guess back 20 years ago now or so, or uh, almost 20. Wow, it was Matt Leinard, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Matt Leinard, and Reggie Bush was pushing him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That was another great game. That was uh, – it it had that same sort of a feel. Interesting, you know, a lot of people were saying about the Ohio State and Notre Dame, they were saying, go with the under, go with the under. And wouldn't you know it, it was a really low-scoring game. 17-14 to was the final. And only after that last-second touchdown. Yeah. You know, if I was Ohio State – I would have taken a knee. I wouldn't have kicked the extra point. Oh, exactly. Yeah. You know, that was the only way at that point that they wouldn't win because, it, you know, I mean, Hail Mary aside, but the only way they wouldn't win was that that kick had got blocked and returned for, to, for the tying two-pointer. So, uh, uh, yeah, that was the other thing they reviewed. They decided there was still a second left on the clock instead of being the last play of the game. But, of course, you know what's really <laughs> what really matters about the fact they had to kick the extra point was the spread was two and a half. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Coach Joe, you're so cynical. I can't oh, believe it's it. It's just a coincidence. Just like yeah, when, of course. <laughs> just like when those the Rams were down 10 and they kicked a last-second field goal to lose by seven when they were seven and a half point. <laughs> oh, speaking of that. Miami Dolphins yeah. score 70 points. Yeah, they could They could have broken the record. <laughs> the NFL all-time record is 73 points. 1940 championship game, Chicago Bears beat the Redskins 73 to nothing. Now, in that game, they had played in the regular season, and the Redskins had won 7-3. Evidently, the um, owner and also the coach of the Redskins, Preston Marshall, had said – those bears are soft. Well, George Hallis went in the locker room. He told his guys, they think we're soft. So they went out and they scored 73, beat them 73 to nothing. Now, the regular season record is 72 by the New York Giants again. Or no, it was the Redskins over the Giants, 72-41. Yeah. And that's the all-time record. But the Dolphins could have mm-hmm. broken that record and didn't, did they? No, they had the opportunity. Uh, interesting enough, not only that, the 1951 Rams had the all-time record for most yards in the game, and the, and the Dolphins were within 10 yards of that uh, when they had the ball at at the 27-yard uh, line, uh, go, you know, of Denver, going with uh, plenty of time left. Uh, they were down uh, ahead of the two-minute warning, 
but they decided to just run into the line. And in fact, they knelt down in the last place. So they lost out on not only the points record, but the yardage record. Dolphins, by the way, more than 350 yards rushing, more than 350 yards passing. Incredibly balanced attack. They that was that was a lot of fun to watch. By the way, <laughs> well, 1950 on this date is when that record was set by Norm Van Brocklin. 554 yards passing, still the NFL record. He was hitting Tom Fears and Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch in that game. So let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we're going to have an interview with none other than the man who knows so much about Kentucky football, Mr. John Clay of the Lexington Herald-Leader. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. Leva Griff, former Gator and Buccaneer, now the color analyst for the Gator Radio Network. You are listening to Ronnie Ocean in the Ozone. Ronnie O and Coach Joe, you'll find them in the Ozone every Thursday from 8 until 9, brought to you by Allied Scrap, processors of Lakeland turning scrap metal into cash. Earlier this afternoon, we caught up with John Clay. He's a sports writer with the Lexington, Kentucky Herald Leader. Distinct pleasure to have with us John Clay, sports columnist for the Lexington Herald-Leader, and he has been covering UK athletics since 1987, started when he was seven years old, and uh, he knows everything there is to know about UK athletics. And got the Gators coming to town to take on the Wildcats, so talk about a rivalry turned topsy-turvy. UF wins 31 in a row. And Kentucky's won three of the last five. What do you make of that, John? Yeah, I mean, as somebody who was there for the uh, Steve Spurrier beatdowns of Kentucky, the <laughs> seventy-three to seven and sixty-five to nothing, and scores like that, it's almost unimaginable that Kentucky could uh, try to make it three straight on Saturday, something over Florida, something they haven't done since Bear Bryant was the Kentucky coach. Uh, they went four in a row over Florida from nineteen forty-eight through nineteen fifty-one. I'm I'm an old guy, but I even I was not around for that <laughs> back then. So uh, yeah, I mean Mark Stoops, uh, beginning with that two thousand eighteen game when Kentucky broke the thirty-one uh, game winning streak by winning there in Gainesville. You know, it's been a very very competitive series over the past five years, and I expect a, another competitive game, another close, hard-fought game on Saturday. John, I saw a very clever T-shirt that a Kentucky fan had after they broke the streak, and it said, nobody beats UK 32 in a row. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I thought that was very clever. Kentucky used it. I mean, they've had several long streaks. Tennessee had a long streak against uh, Kentucky as well. But, uh, uh, like I said, Stoops, one of the things that Stoops has been able to accomplish here is kind of ending those streaks and getting them back on a more competitive level against some of those teams. So, uh, uh, yeah, but that was a long-suffering, uh, <laughs> an embarrassing streak for Kentucky, that's for sure. John, Kentucky has 17 seniors. Florida only has three. How do you see that playing out when they get on the field? Yeah, I mean, this is for the most part, this is an experienced Kentucky team. Now, some of those uh, seniors are not are their first year in the program. Some of them are transfer portal guys. Mark has done a good job over the last two or three years of bringing in transfer portal guys. I mean, people people know about Will Levis, who came in here from Penn State through the transfer portal. Now they've got another transfer portal quarterback in Devin Leary, who came from North Carolina State. Their top running back, Ray Davis, from is a portal guy from Vanderbilt. They've got a couple of guys on defense that are portal guys who play big roles. 
So, I mean, Kentucky is an experienced team, but in talking to the Kentucky coaches this week uh, and Mark on Monday, Liam Cohen, the offensive coordinator on Tuesday, and Brad White yesterday on Wednesday, they feel like that Billy Napier has Florida in the right direction, even though that they might be a little bit younger than Kentucky. They, they feel like that Florida's got a lot of talent on this team, and they feel like, especially this year, with that Tennessee game and the way they play, that they have more of a direction and more uh, the players seem more comfortable in what they're doing than what they saw a year ago. So I wouldn't be too fooled by the uh, by the uh, by those stats that Kentucky has that, that many more seniors than Florida. I still think uh, talent wise, it, it you know there's still a very competitive even game. We're talking with John Clay, a longtime columnist of the uh, Lexington Herald Leader. Uh, joining us here in the Ozone to talk about uh, Kentucky's football team. You want to talk statistics, John. Um, I think the key one here is that uh, Kentucky's currently 10th in the nation in rushing defense, and all four of your opponents this year were held under 100 yards rushing. Uh, Watching the Gators this season, uh, the run game is key to their success, and if they can't run the ball, uh, they have to run the ball in order to uh, win the game on Saturday. Uh, how do you see this playing out? Is uh, Kentucky's defense uh, up to the task of slowing down Etienne and, and uh, Montreal Johnson and, and those players? Well, I think you're exactly right. I think that's going to be the key to the game on Saturday. Yeah, Kentucky has held their first each of their first four opponents under under yards rushing. The flip side of that is they haven't played the strongest schedule up to this point. They played Ball State, an FCS team in Eastern Kentucky. Akron and then Vanderbilt last week and in at least a couple of those games especially the Vanderbilt game last week Kentucky jumped out to a 24 to nothing lead so Vandy had to throw the ball probably more than they wanted to to try to catch up so I think that figures into it but they have played the run well they played defense well through these first four games I mean it's been kind of a hallmark of Mark Stoops teams here especially with Brad White who's now in his fifth year as defensive coordinator and in talking to Brad yesterday uh, after practice he made the point that, you know, whoever wins this game is going to have to win it at the line of scrimmage, uh, offense and defense. And he brought up that he's very impressed with Florida's runner, Florida's running backs, both guys and their offensive line. So, yeah, they know that this is that's going to be a big key to the game is can Kentucky stop that rushing attack of Florida? And on the opposite side, Kentucky, they haven't run the ball as well as they want to, want to especially on first down. They've had a lot of negative plays, uh, zero-yard gains, one-yard gains, two-yard gains on first down, which has put them in a lot of second-and-long situations. In fact, Liam said after the Vanderbilt game, look, if we can't run the ball on first down, I'm not going to call runs. We're going to have to throw it. I'm really throwing it more than I want to on first down. But if we can't pick up the four or five yards we want on first down to be in second and manageable, I'm going to have to throw the ball. So they would like to run the ball better, Kentucky, uh, going into this game Saturday. The offensive line has been a, a strength of Kentucky the last several years, especially against the Gators. A uh, bit of a question mark going into this season, but a pleasant surprise, and uh, hasn't it, especially at right tackle? Yeah, they uh, they felt like yeah the big blue wall, they called it around here, uh, the offensive line. They didn't play up to that level last year. That became a problem as the season went on. They had some injuries. They had some players not play as well as they hoped. They made some changes on the offensive line. They moved Jagger Burton from guard to center. They moved Eli Cox from center to guard. But last week they switched back. They switched Eli back to center, moved Jagger back to guard. Yeah, you talk about Jeremy Black's a right tackle. He has played well, uh, probably even better than they expected. They got a good transfer portal. Talk about transfer portal guys. A pickup in left tackle, um, Marcus Cox from Northern Illinois. He's played well. The one guy that they're missing is Kenneth Horsey. 
Uh, he's the most experienced guy on the offensive line. He got hurt in the opener, hasn't played since. Mark is not very forthcoming uh, with the injury status of guys. So, uh, <laughs> but we we asked him on Monday about Horsey, and he said we'll see. But uh, we don't think they're very optimistic that uh, they'll have him back. Mark's one of those guys, if you know somebody's injured and you ask him about it, he will admit it, but he's not going to volunteer the information. He's more out of that Belichick school, I think, but he doesn't want to tell you uh, anything about what their injury situation is like. <laughs> that seems to be across the board in college football. <laughs> right. John, you mentioned that Kentucky's schedule has been pretty manageable to this point. They're going to play Florida at home, then they're going to go to Georgia. They're going to take on Missouri. There's a lot of tough teams coming up for Kentucky. Um, how healthy is the ball club right now? Other than uh, Horsey, they're pre- they're pretty pretty healthy at this point. I mean, they've got you know some bumps and bruises and so forth, like you have four or five games into the season. But they know, uh, you know, talking about the schedule, they know they're very aware that things are about to get a lot tougher. Starting with Florida, you know, they've already played their three pre-conference games. They play Louisville at the end of the year, so this is a streak of eight straight conference games they're going to play. Uh, you know, Devin Leary, I talked about him earlier. He hasn't quite met up to expectations. He, his completion percentage is below 60%. He threw a couple of interceptions last week against Vanderbilt. And talking to Devin after the Vanderbilt game, he said up front, hey, i got to play better. I know what's coming up, what the schedule is going to be like, who we have to face in the SEC, even though he, you know, this is his first year going through the SEC. But he said, I've got to play better because I know we've got a lot of tough games ahead. So I think they're aware um, you know, that the schedule is going to get tougher a lot tougher. You mentioned Florida, Georgia, you know, the teams after that. So, uh, you know, we, we asked them, uh, uh, the players Tuesday and Wednesday after practice, could you sense kind of an uptick in the intensity of practice because it's Florida week? And they said definitely they can see that. And they know Florida, you know, they Kentucky lost to Vanderbilt last year at home, so they wanted to get revenge on Vanderbilt when they went down to Nashville last week. And they know full well that Florida's going to come in here wanting to get revenge over the past two years where Kentucky was able to come away with victories over the Gators. John, we talked a lot about the history uh, between the Gators and Kentucky. It's uh, really about to change, isn't it? Uh, it's a lot of uncertainty about the future of the series. So it's not likely to be an annual event anymore. Um, what are your thoughts about realignment, and where would you like? What would you like to see on Kentucky's schedule uh, every year? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a very good point. I mean, Kentucky's so used to uh, playing the teams, you know, for the SEC East. They've always been a big border rival with Tennessee, but obviously Florida, especially in the past few years. But that's always been a big game for Kentucky. Yeah, that's all going to change. It's all going to go away. Mitch Barnhart, the UK athletic director, has kind of led the charge to keep it at eight game an eight game schedule. I don't think that's gonna last for very long though. I think it probably end up being a nine game schedule where you probably have three uh yearly opponents. The question that for Kentucky is who are those three gonna be that they play every year. I don't expect Florida to be to be one of those teams. But there is a lot of uncertainty. Uh you know, as Mitch has said, he think eight games has been it's been good for Kentucky. It's given them a chance to uh, schedule some um, non-conference opponents where they have a chance to build a program and get into a bowl game. Uh, what I would like to see is, you know, for example, Texas A&M, what they came into the league in 2012, they never played at Kentucky. Kentucky's only played them once. They played them in College Station, uh, I think, the 2018 season. Uh, I like the idea of, uh, you know, if teams are in your conference, you should play them. I like the idea of that uh, if you – I think Nick Saban said one time, and I agree with him, 
that uh, you know if you play in the league, you should be able to play at least, uh, every team in the league at least once by the time you graduate. So uh, I kind of, I'm kind of sad to see the divisions go away from the standpoint of the division rivalries. Uh, but I do think they need a little more diversity in the schedule and a chance to play, you know, more than just the same conference teams every year. So uh, there's kind of pro and con to it. Uh, but, you know, Kentucky goes to play te- at Texas next year. That'll be a big game. There'll be a lot of Kentucky fans go down to Texas because they've never uh, seen them play down there before. So that aspect of it, I think, is good. No doubt about it. John, uh, we've got just a little bit of time left. Mark Stoops has really upgraded the talent at Kentucky Real quickly, what is the perception among Kentucky fans of him? And then also would like to know how people can read your work on a regular basis. Well, I mean, I think the fans are very, uh, you know, that uh, Mark is very popular from the way he's built the program, basically from the ground up. Rich Brooks, Rich Brooks did a really good job here building a foundation before. He, couldn't, he got a little frustrated. He couldn't get it to the next level, couldn't get the facility upgrades that he wanted. Mark has been able to do that. Now his next step is taking it to the next level. Yeah, I know you, you're going to have a fringe of fans that always say, okay, what have you done for me lately? They, they've done well, but what can, can they make it to the next step? Can we ever go to Atlanta? But I think overall, people, Mark is very popular and people are pleased with the job he's done. Uh, as far as me, you can check me out on Twitter or X or whatever they're calling it these days uh, as on John Clay IV. And then you can follow my work and all our work at the Herald Leader at Kentucky.com online. John, we certainly appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Second half of the Ozone kicks off now. We're talking sports in the Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe. The Ozone brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. On this date, Steve Largent was born in 1954. He wasn't big enough or fast enough to play in the NFL, but he managed 819 receptions and 100 touchdowns and was later elected to the United States Congress as a Republican from Oklahoma. 1962, Irving Fryer, former Nebraska Cornhusker, Miami Dolphin, and a New England Patriot was born on this date. You remember him, Coach Joe, as a Dolphin? A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, he was the one who caught uh, Marino's comeback game. I was at, at the stadium there. Dr. Mike Lean was there, too, in 1994. Uh, Marino's in the opener. Marino's first game back from his uh, Achilles injury that had cost him most of the 93 season. And on fourth down and long, Fourth and five. It was fourth and medium. <laughs> it was uh, right down the sideline. Fryer ran under it, uh, touchdown, and in a shootout with uh, Drew Bledsoe and the Patriots. Dolphins win. One of the, one of the classic games. In fact, uh, of the games of that era, that one is shown a lot on uh, on M- M- uh, NFL Network. Oh, man. On this date in 1928, Chicago White Sox baseball players were indicted by a grand jury and charged with fixing the 1919 World Series, the infamous Black Sox scandal. 1941, my man Ted Williams, a splendid splinter, ended the baseball season. The Red Sox had a doubleheader left against the Philadelphia Athletics. I said athletics, which they were back then. And his batting average was 399.5, which would have been rounded off to 400. He could have sat out. But instead, he opted to play in both games of the doubleheader, and he went six for eight. 
That year he hit 406 with 37 home runs and 120 RBIs and did not win MVP. Philadelphia Athletics later became the Kansas City Athletics, playing at the uh, uh, Memorial Stadium where the Chiefs played all those years. And they became the Oakland Athletics. And coming this November, most likely when the vote is taken, <laughs> they Las Vegas Athletics. <laughs> They're kind of like the Rams in the NFL. <laughs> they, they move around. <laughs> the nomads. Yeah, we are <laughs> of for Major sale. League Baseball. We are for sale. I don't know if anybody's moved as much as they have. <laughs> yeah. that's, let's see. Yeah, that's right. St. Louis Browns became the Orioles, but I think that was their only move. Yeah, the the Twins came from Washington, I think. Uh, yeah, but uh, most most of the teams haven't moved that much. Dodgers moved to Los Angeles. The Giants moved to San Francisco. I uh, uh, see. Uh, the Braves, Braves moved, moved from, from Boston from, to Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Yeah, so the Braves are probably the closest to to being the, the to have moved as much as the A's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. On his date in 1951, we mentioned this. Norm Van Brocklin threw for an NFL record 554 yards, still stands as a record. You know, that record and the record for most interceptions in a season, night train lane, with 14 in 12 games. Uh, that, that amazes me that that still stands as much as the ball is thrown today. And here's a little bit of trivia. I watched this thing on Netflix about Bill Veck's son, Mike Veck. And Mike Vec eventually became the promotions manager for the Rays, but he quit. And uh, there's, you need to watch that. It's a really neat thing. But his son, he named him Knight Train Vec. <laughs> I mean, his first name's Knight, his middle name's Train, last name Vec. I mean, <laughs> 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 oh, well, man. That was the problem with the Rays. They didn't run the trains at night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But Norm Van Brocklin. You know, here's a guy who's in the NFL Hall of Fame, and he was the Vikings' first coach from 61 to 66, coached the Falcons from 68 to 74, and he's the only quarterback to beat Vince Lombardi in a championship game. In 1960, the Eagles, in Norm Van Brocklin's last game, beat the Green Bay Packers 20 to 17. And I remember that the Packers had a chance to win the game. They were out of timeouts. Jim Taylor caught a pass, and the Eagles sat on him, wouldn't let him up. <laughs> and uh, they ended up, the clock ran out, and they beat the Packers 20-17. to 17. But Van Brocklin, as good as he was, the Rams had two Hall of Fame quarterbacks back then. They had another guy named Bob Waterfield. And it just so happened that Waterfield had been beaten out for that game uh, – he didn't start that game. And so Van Brocklin started the game and threw for 554 yards. And uh, they beat the New York Yankees, who later became the New York Giants. But they weren't real creative. I think the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers were the Pittsburgh Pirates at one time back in the day. So um, Norm Van Brocklin was NFL champion in 1951, and he was also – NFL champion in 1960 in his last game. Yeah, I remember Van Brocklin, uh, coach of Atlanta mostly. Because that was the, I remember, you know, watching them a lot. And he, he had mixed record with Atlanta. But remember that that was during their expansion era. And Same so, thing with the Vikings. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, he was kind of, uh, but he was highly thought of as a coach. And yeah, he, he really he was. He was one of those hard nosed coaches too. Yes, yeah. he was. <laughs> yes, he was. You know, he played at Oregon. And Waterfield later became an actor 
he had gone to UCLA, really good-looking guy, and uh, I think he may have married Jane Russell or one of the top Hollywood stars from back in the day. I'll have to look that up in a minute. On his day in 1960, Ted Williams hits his final home run off Jack Fisher in Fenway Park, and this time he sat out the rest of the season. He had a couple more games and he didn't play. And uh, in 1969, I'll never forget this, Minnesota Vikings quarterback Joe Cap throws for seven touchdowns as they beat my Baltimore Colts 52-14. to And uh, I hated that because Cap broke the uh, – he may have tied the NFL record. Do you remember – are there other guys that have thrown for seven in a game? Uh, seven is the record, and I think it was tied recently. Uh, I'm trying to remember who, who threw seven in a game. Uh, I know Bob Greasy threw six in the last time the the the, the Dolphins' old points record of 55 from 1977. Bob Greasy threw six in that game against St. Louis on Thanksgiving Day, of all things. Uh, but seven, I want to say somebody did it fairly recently. They tied it, and but I honestly can't remember who. We'll try to. Hey, if you know six eight two fourteen thirty, help yeah. us out a little bit. <laughs> I want to say Gary Quazzo, John Unitas's backup quarterback may have thrown for six for the Colts at some point. We'll have to look that up. On this date in 1974, California Angel Nolan Ryan threw his third no-hitter, beating the Twins 4 nothing. And in 75, the Oakland A's had a combined no-hitter with Vita Blue, Glenn Abbott, Paul Lindblad, and Raleigh Fingers as they beat the Angels 5 nothing. It's and Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning, okay. Who, who, who did it most recently. And in 1988... L.A. Dodgers' Oral Hershiser breaks former Dodger Don Drysdale's record by pitching 59 consecutive scoreless innings. But there were uh, there have been eight who've who've done it, Ronnie. Did Gary Quazzo do it? Uh, no, uh, George Blanda did. George Blanda for the Oilers back he, in the AFL. Uh, yeah, uh, that was uh, in 1961. He was the third person to do it. Sid Luckman was the first in 1943. Then Adrian Burke for the Eagles over the Redskins. In 1954, then Blanda, then Y.E. Tittle in 1962, Joe Cap, like you mentioned, in 1969. Peyton, then it was a while, Peyton Manning in 2013. Then only two months later, Nick Foles did it for the Eagles huh. over the Raiders. And the most recent one, it's actually in 2015, was Drew Brees. He did it against the Giants in a game that they won 52-49. to It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot more common than I thought it was. Uh, yeah, I didn't, re- I didn't realize so many had done it that recently. I, I knew it had been done recently, but but uh, three times in the last 10 years, uh, seven touchdown passes have been thrown. Pretty remarkable. Wow. Wow. Man, oh, man. Well, why don't we go ahead and we'll just go ahead and take a break. And we come back, we just might have that $30 opportunity for you to go out to Miller's Lakeland Ale House. You can go out there, eat and drink what you want. Take $30 off your tab and Eric Clark will kick in $3 million from the Eric Clark Foundation. What? <laughs> no, I'm not. You know, two or through six last year against wow. the Ravens. Yeah, <laughs> about that. <laughs> All right. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. former Buccaneer and Gator great Brad Culpepper, and you're listening to Ronnie Ocean in the Ozone. Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone, brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors of Lakeland, turning scrap metal into cash. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. 
I hear those stomachs growling, here's your opportunity. If you haven't won in the last six months, and we have a record, you are eligible to win our sports quiz. And if you win the sports quiz, you can go out to Miller's Lakeland Ale House, you can eat and drink what you want, and take $30 off your tab. How about that? And, of course, the Ozone sends all of our sports quiz winners out to Miller's Lakeland Ale House, located at 5650 South Florida Avenue. Now, you have to go to the South Florida Avenue location. There are two locations now in Lakeland, but the South Lakeland one is the only one you can go to. If you know the answer to our quiz, the number is 682-1430. That's 682-1430. Here you go. Texas, Baltimore, and Minnesota currently lead their divisions. Minnesota has won a World Series, but one of these other two teams, Texas or Baltimore, has never won a World Series. Give us a call and tell us which one it is. Is it Texas or is it Baltimore that has never won a World Series? 682-1430. That's 682-1430. Coach Joe, I've been out to the uh, Ale House a couple times, and man, their hamburgers are awesome. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They, Their food really... Really is terrific. I, uh, uh, Dr. Mike Lean and I was watching a lot of college football out there last Saturday, and that was uh, a blast. Watched, uh, uh, I think there were seven games going on at the same time <laughs> at the, in that three thirty window, and uh, we were able to watch them all. Uh, it was a, and that included the Canes, that included USF. We were able to watch them. Uh, Colorado was playing, and. Uh, uh, was Colorado old, play? Yeah, they they were there. Uh, <laughs> and mostly watch like us. They were watching Oregon run up and down the field. That's a powerful offense, Oregon. Quack quack. Yeah. Quack attack. Yeah, and uh, Alabama Ole Miss was a very interesting game. Uh, that that was a fascinating game to watch, and still can't believe that Jalen Milrow was ever benched. <laughs> I just don't understand <laughs> that at all. But. Uh, uh, so many, there, so there were a lot, a lot of good games going going on, and the Ale House was a great place to watch them. No doubt. Plus, they have drinking meal specials every night of the week, which means that thirty dollars will go a long way. So, give us a call six eight two fourteen thirty. That's six eight two fourteen thirty, and tell us which of these current division leaders in Major League Baseball has never won the World Series. Is it Texas or is it Baltimore? Six eight two fourteen thirty. Give us a call, and we'll send you out to the Ale House, and you will have an opportunity to take $30 off your tab. So, what do you think, Coach Joe? Well, yeah, that's uh, I, I know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you but, came up with it. Yeah, it was that's your true. idea. You... That's true. Yeah, yeah actually, you know, it. Uh, there, there are two teams. You know, we've seen Texas in the postseason a lot recently. Uh, Baltimore, not so much, but uh, the Orioles have been good now for the last couple of seasons. You can see them just getting better and better. They went... They went the uh, way of getting young and and growing growing the team over time, and they've done a good job of that. And they are right now uh, the best record in the American League, 99 wins as they play tonight, and a very powerful team because the Rays have been playing great all year. And with 97 wins, they will find themselves looking up at the Orioles and having to settle for a wild card. Now, since they'll be the number one seed if they win the AL East, and the Rays will be the four seed as the number one wild card, uh, that would mean it's likely that if form held in the first round, 
that the Rays would end up playing the Orioles in the division series. Now, it would be much better to end up playing them in the ALCS, get a little of a repeat of what happened in 08 when the Rays and the Red Sox went at it in a seven-game classic. I remember that one because I was at Game 2 on a Saturday night in uh, St. Petersburg. The game lasted until 2.30 in the morning. Ooh, <laughs> it went, I was at Game 7. Yeah, well, that was a good one, too. Uh, and a couple of just some amazing games. That, that game on, on that day, the Game 2, that, the game that would never end. <laughs> it went 16 <laughs> innings. Uh, amazing. The race pulling that game out was a key to them winning the, the series and winning their first pennant back in 08. Uh, and by the way, this is the anniversary of the great 2011 final game, day, night of the regular season when Evan Longoria hit that amazing home run that everybody <laughs> still talks about uh, to, that lifted the Rays, who had come from way behind to pull out the game and end up winning the division on the last day of the season. And one of the one of the classic finishes of all time. Yeah, I was also there when uh, Wade Boggs hit the home run for his 3,000th hit. Oh, yeah. And, uh, it was pretty neat. Um I thought that we got about five minutes left in the show, so give us a call, 682-1430. It's a 50-50 shot, folks. If you haven't won the last six months, which of the three pennant or the uh, division leaders right now has never won the World Series? We told you Minnesota has won a World Series. Is it Texas or is it Baltimore that has never won a World Series? And, uh, of course— Never won a series. Yeah, never (laughs) won one. Yeah. And— Coach Show, we, we talked a little bit about one of my childhood heroes, even though I was a Red Sox and Dodgers fan, Brooks Robinson. One, a real classy gentleman, um, just, you know, Mr. Oriole. I remember him. I was, I was pretty young as his career was winding down. And back then, baseball wasn't telecast in South Florida, but maybe once a week. You know, you catch the game of the week. But uh, but I do remember him, and uh, he, he was a terrific hitter, a really good hitter. But he was known as the Hoover, I believe, because uh, the way he could yeah. vacuum up, vac- vacuum cleaner. Th- exactly. Thanks, Eric. Uh, because of how good he was fielding. And, of course, uh, he made one of the all-time great plays when he, uh, a ground ball down the line that was deep, actually went deep into foul ground. To, Lee to, May. To, yeah, to grab it and, and throw out Lee May in a game. That that still is shown. If in fact, for his obit, when Sports Center is going to talk about him, that's the play you're always going to see. And there's a great look at it because you you see it from the uh, from the first baseline, and you can really see just how much ground he had to cover, not only to get to the ball, but then to turn and make a great throw to first. Yeah, Lee May didn't run well, but I don't care that <laughs> he could have been crawling, and that's still a great play. <laughs> yeah, one of the truly great greatest plays ever by a third baseman, no doubt. I looked it up. Gary Quazzo did not throw seven touchdown passes, even though Wikipedia or, or one internet source said that he tied the NFL record, which was not true. He <laughs> threw five touchdown passes. Oddly enough, it was against the Vikings, and then Cap turned the, the tide on the Colts and did that to them later, throwing seven touchdown passes. Well, Quazzo uh, went, it eventually went to the Vikings, and when he the did. Vikings made it to Super Bowl four, he backed up Joe Cap. And actually ended up playing at the end of that game when Cap got banged up, you know, trying to avoid the relentless Kansas City Chief rush back then. <laughs> he got banged up in the fourth quarter, and, and Cap or, had to leave the game, and Quazo ended up playing a little bit. Yeah. Oh, man, I tell you what. Um, I, I loved Joe Cap. He was one of those guys that just wore his feelings on his sleeve and had been in the Canadian Football League. He'd played at Cal Berkeley and later became their head football coach. And uh, he was – 
a really intense guy. He was something else. I liked Joe Cap. He was one of those guys. It was kind of like Bobby Lane, I think, mm-hmm. as far as being a leader. Um, folks, we only got two minutes left in the show. It's a 50-50 Six, eight, shot. That's right. Mm-hmm. Six eight two fourteen thirty. Six eight two fourteen thirty. All you got to do is tell us. Is it Baltimore or Texas that has never won a World Series? Now, if you're just listening to what we were just saying about the World Series in 1970, if you make that kind of play, probably a pretty good chance to win, huh, Coach Joe? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I specifically didn't mention World Series, but but, <laughs> but yes, it was against Cincinnati in the 1970 World Series. So 682-1430, we've done everything but give you the answer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, I tell you, we're soft. You know what? Maybe George Preston Marshall was talking about us. We're soft. James, how are you tonight? Pretty good. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Well, we basically told you the answer. So is it Texas or is it Baltimore that has never uh, won the World Series? Uh, I'll have to guess and say it's uh, Baltimore. You said Texas. That's right. <laughs> You're right. exactly right. James never won the World Series. Yeah. Never won. <laughs> right. <laughs> Texas uh, came really close Uh a couple of times, 2010 especially, was it 2010 that they, they, they had it in the sixth game against St. Louis and a miracle rally sent it to Game 7, and then they ended up losing. Baltimore's yeah. won it several times, though. Yeah, Baltimore won in 66, 70, 83. 83 was the last oh, time, wow. yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, you are our winner, and uh, you can go out there. Great. Hang on the line. Eric will get your information. And uh, don't give him your credit card or your bank account number. He'll ask for that. You don't need to do that. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you. Congratulations. Well, Coach thank Joe, you. we've almost finished another shot. I don't know where the hour goes, but you'll be back next week, and I'm sure the show will be just as wonderful next week. We'll without come up me. with something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>